Well, it is uh, always good when we're able to come together and take some time to to worship and open God's word together. Uh, We have been looking for the last several weeks through a passage of scripture uh, found in John chapter 17. And it is a prayer that Jesus prayed. Uh, We said this is a remarkable prayer because while the scripture tells us many times that Jesus prayed, very rarely do we get to hear what Jesus prayed. And this is actually what Jesus prayed. And we're going to wrap this chapter up today. We've been looking at it for several weeks, but if you're just joining us for the very first time, uh, it's okay. We're going to bring you up to speed. You can also go to our website and listen to the podcast or, or the live stream. We've got people joining us every week through the podcast and the live stream as well. But let me just bring you up to speed as we look at this chapter, John 17. The first thing we said several weeks ago was that Jesus prayed and so should you. Now, that's a pretty simple idea, but it's, it's a profound truth that Jesus, who was all-powerful, he was God, he, he lived a perfect and holy life, and yet he thought it was necessary that he often, the scripture says, withdrew to lonely places and prayed. If Jesus thought it was that important, how much more important is it for you and for me to do it? So Jesus prayed and so should you. Then the second week, we said that effective prayer has one goal, many reasons why we pray, but one goal, and that is the surrender of our will for the glory of God. Basically, when Jesus prayed, not my will, but your will be done, that's how we approach God in our prayer life. God, not my will, but your will be done. Prayer isn't to change God. Prayer is an opportunity to invite God to change us. And that's a, that's a profound, different way, profoundly different way of thinking about prayer. And then last week, we said that Jesus prayed for his followers. He prayed that they would be one. He prayed that his followers would be united. And so, as believers, if that was the prayer of Jesus as he is preparing to head to the cross, if that was so important to him, then we should pray and we should act for unity in the church as well. That actually Jesus said, drop everything and go make things right with your brother or your sister. If you've got a bad relationship, go make that right first before you even finish worshiping. It was so important. Jesus prayed for it. Jesus encouraged us. And so we said, you know, what if we focused our time praying on praying for people to have restored relationships? And what if through restored relationships, our prayer life was more effective and and more potent? So today I want us to to wrap this chapter up and we're going to look at John chapter 17. We're going to begin in verse 20. But before we get to that, I just want you to, to stop for just a moment and imagine something with me. I want you to imagine that you uh, are hearing in the news that there has been a, a new discovery of some writings by a famous historic figure, somebody that you respect. It could be somebody like Dr. Martin Luther King, or it could be somebody like Abraham Lincoln, or, or George Washington, or, or you pick any well-respected figure in history, and that they've just discovered a brand new journal, a brand new collection of letters that this person wrote And as they're going through, it's remarkable, but they find that that historic figure actually was writing about you. They were actually writing something about you. Somebody who you weren't even maybe born for for maybe even hundreds of years until after they had had died. But but yet somehow your name is in what they wrote. You, You were mentioned by this person in this document. Because that's exactly what we find in John 17. That Jesus, who of course is God and knows all things, he's, he's omniscient, that, that Jesus actually, as he's praying, prays specifically for you and for me. 
Hundreds and thousands of years later that Jesus included us in his prayer. It's a remarkable thought. And I want us to look at this passage of scripture today and find out what it is that Jesus prayed for us. Why did he pray that for us? And how can that have an impact in our lives and in the way that we prayed? So hopefully by now you found it. John chapter 17 beginning in verse 20. We'll also put it on the screens. Listen to what Jesus prayed. John 17 verse 20. I do not ask for these only. Now remember, he's been praying specifically for his disciples and his followers. So he's clarifying now that these are not the only people though I'm praying for. I'm not only praying for them, but also for those who will, future tense, who will believe in me through their word. In other words, all the people who will come to be believe because of the witness of the disciples, I am praying for them as well, that they may all be one just as you father are in me and I in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me the glory that you have given me I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me now think about that for just a minute what Jesus just said, God, I want them to understand that you love them the same way you love me. That's profound. That, that God says, Jesus says, I, Father, I want them to understand the depth of your love for them. That the same way you love me is the same way that you love them. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. And I in them. This is the word of the Lord. So what, what does this mean? What, what, is, what is this talking about? First of all, I think it's important, just princi- important principle to know. And, and the principle is this, that Jesus is praying for you. Notice that that's not past tense. Notice that that's present tense. Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is interceding for you. Jesus is is on your side. He's pulling for you. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 33 and 34. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Anybody here today feeling a little convicted or condemned? Anybody here feeling like maybe there's some accusation out there waiting for you, like there's a shoe waiting to drop? Jesus is saying, or Paul is saying, who can bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. I don't know if you've thought about this, but when Jesus died and was raised to life, 40 days later, the Bible says he ascended to heaven where he sits at the right hand of God the Father. Do you know what he's doing there? He's interceding for you. He is your advocate in heaven. 
He is the one who is up there interceding with God on your behalf. That Jesus didn't just pray for you in John 17. Jesus is praying for you right now. Jesus is praying for you and the things you're going to face that you don't even know what they are yet. Jesus is praying for you. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23 and 25. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. Now, what, what, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is the old religious system, there were priests, there were pastors and ministers, there were lots and lots of them, and the reason there had to be lots and lots of them is because they would die. That, that, that we had to keep replacing them. Things would happen, and we had to keep replacing them. He said, he said but listen to what he says, but he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues Forever. Consequently, he is able to, say, able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Basically, the writer of Hebrews wants you to know that having, knowing that Jesus is praying for you is better than knowing that I'm praying for you. Better than any pastor you could have, better than any priest better than any clergy that you can have, that Jesus is forever interceding on your behalf. Even now he is interceding on your behalf. So let's take a look at John 17 and figure out what is it that Jesus is praying for us? Why did he pray for us and how can it impact us? What did Jesus pray for you? A couple things. A couple things I want you to be aware of. First of all, he prays for your protection. He prays specifically for your protection. Look what he said in verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. I'm not going to ask God that you pull them out, because it would be safer if you went ahead and pulled them out of the world, but I'm not asking you to do that. Instead, I'm asking you to protect them from the evil one while they continue in the world. Listen to what Jesus ta- how Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6, 13. Lead us not into temptation, finish it with me, but deliver us from evil. What is Jesus basically praying? He taught us to pray this for ourselves, and then he turned around and he is praying it for us. He's saying, listen, there is evil in the world. There is danger in the world. And I'm praying that you will be protected through it, not from it. So many times we want a safe religion. We want a safe Jesus. But nowhere when you read the New Testament does God promise you safety and security. He does, however, say that he will be with you and never forsake you, that he will protect you through the difficulties of life. You notice, if you remember the story where Jesus was with his disciples and he sent them on to the boat and out into the Sea of Galilee without him, and a storm rose up, and they were terrified. And Jesus comes walking on the water to them in the midst of the storm. I don't know if you've thought about this or not, but isn't it? true that Jesus would have known that that storm was coming? And yet he told the disciples to go get on the boat and go out into the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And it was in the middle of the storm that they met Jesus. That Jesus protected them in the midst of the storm. Some of you are facing storms and your tendency is going to be to want to avoid the storms of life. And, you're going to, and maybe even somebody has told you before that if God really loves you, God would keep you out of the storms. But that's not the testimony of Scripture. 
Jesus sends you right into the middle of the storm, and then he says, I will meet you in the middle of that storm. Because he's praying for your protection. The second thing he prays for is he prays for your holiness. In 1 Peter 1.15, we read this. Peter is quoting the Old Testament. He's saying, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Now, let me just do a survey. Anybody here been holy all week long? Anybody? Anybody? Nobody. Okay. The Old Testament says this is what God requires of you. He requires that you be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. How you doing? How you stacking up? We can't do it. I can't do it. I can't. I'm doing great until my feet hit the floor by my bed. And, and, and I'm telling you, somewhere between my bed and the bathroom, there's already an opportunity for me to, to blow it. There's something that goes on. It doesn't take long, and we continually fall short. But Jesus does not give up this prayer that you would be holy. But listen to how he delivers on this promise of holiness. Listen to what he says in verse 17 through 19 of John 17. He says, to the, he says to God, sanctify, this is called a sanctuary. Sanctify means to purify, to make something holy. You're going to make it holy. Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrated myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Do you know what that means, that last little bit? Lots of big churchy words, theological words there, but let me just tell you what this means because it's so incredibly cool. Jesus says, Father, I am going to consecrate myself so that they can be holy. God, Father, there is no way that they can do it. They can't do it. So I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to finish the work And I'm going to die on the cross, and then I want you to to take what I do on the cross and apply it to them so that they can be holy as I am holy and as you are holy. That I will consecrate myself for their holiness. Do you know what? Here's what what the, the beauty of the gospel is. In spite of the fact that you cannot in your own power be holy and be perfect, in spite of the fact that no matter what you do, you cannot rid yourself of all sin and all brokenness, Jesus has done it for you through his sacrificial death on the cross. And when you receive that, God credits it to you as your holiness. That when you are looking at another believer in Jesus, you are looking at a holy person sacred person. C.S. Lewis says, you have never talked to a mere mortal. You are talking to somebody who has been created in the image of God. And even though sin has scarred that image, the blood of Christ has washed over that person if they're a believer in Jesus. And they are holy and righteous and perfect in the eyes of God the Father. That's your story. That's my story. And that's good news, and it's because Jesus is interceding on our behalf. It's because Jesus is praying for us. Notice something here, that this idea that Jesus says, I want to sanctify them or I want to set them apart, he wants to set them apart from the rest of the world. That we as Christians, because we have the righteousness of Christ, because we've been made holy because of what Christ has done, we're set apart from the rest of the world, yet he still wants us in the world. 
He doesn't say, I want you to cloister yourself and pull yourself away from the rest of the world. He said, no, no, no. I want you to carry the image of my holiness into the world that others can see my glory shining through you and shining through what Christ has done on your behalf. You see, Jesus set himself apart to do the work of redemption on the cross so that we could do his work, of his, the work of his mission in the world. That Jesus' work was to make you holy so that then you could join him in his mission of the world. So Jesus is praying for you. He is praying for your protection. He's praying for your holiness. And third, he's praying for your joy. Look what he says in verse 13 of chapter 17. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. If you go back to chapter 15, listen to what Jesus said to his disciples in chapter 15, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. Jesus is saying, okay, just like you don't have holiness on your own, you're not going to have any joy without me either. That it's my joy that I'm praying that you have. Now, I don't know how many Christians you know or or how many you interact with on a regular basis. But this is one of the things that, that I think should break our heart when we meet a Christian who is devoid of joy. Because the problem isn't that Jesus isn't offering them joy. The problem is that they're not receiving what it is that Jesus is giving them. The joy that comes from God. Now listen, there's a difference between joy and happiness. Jesus did not promise that you'd be happy. It is not God's will for you to be happy. Happy is dependent entirely on circumstances. Joy transcends circumstances. You can find joy in the midst of tragedy and difficulty. You can find joy in the hospital bed. You can find joy in the bankruptcy court, in the divorce court. You can find joy anywhere because joy is not dependent on your circumstances. And Jesus says, I am giving you my joy. A joy that knows that this circumstance that you are facing is not the end of the story. Even death is not the end of the story. There is more that is coming. And Jesus is interceding on your behalf, praying for it. Listen to what Hebrews says about Jesus' joy. Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the source of our joy. Look to Jesus, who... For the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of of the throne of God. The joy that was set before Jesus as he made his way to the cross was the reality that in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his death, even through the burial and the three days in the tomb, the joy that was set before him is you. That he knew that his death would bring about the salvation of all those who would believe. And he's saying, that's the joy I have and that's the joy I want you to have. That's the joy that says, I want you to recognize that when you are facing the trials of life, as you face them with joy, you are giving hope to everybody who knows you. You are showing them that there is a, there is a God beyond the circumstances of this life who has promised to never leave us who's promised to never forsake us. So why does Jesus pray this for you? Why, why, why is he praying this? A couple things just to, to, to remember, I think, as we, as we consider and we wrap this series up. First of all, because you are both a beneficiary of and a participant in his mission. You benefited from his mission in the world, 
And you are joining him in that mission in the world. Listen to what he said in John chapter 19, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also, I'm sorry, this is chapter 17, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. You see, the disciples, the disciples that Jesus was talking about as he began the prayer, he knew would go on and share the story of the gospel with other people. And Jesus says, those people will not have met me but I'm praying for them. And then in an unbroken chain, there would be others who would hear the story and the message of the gospel. And the message would be passed. And Jesus says, I am praying for all of those people. The chain of believers, beginning with the disciples and extending down to you right here today and beyond you to those who will believe because of your word. That That Jesus is saying, this is a message that will continue to be carried out from generation to generation. Because he wants his church to have an expanding unity, not a static one. That that it's not just a matter of those of us who believe in Jesus coming together and being comforted by the presence of each other. But recognizing that the unity that God is calling is a unity for the entire world. And it begins with you and I, but it extends past us. It's not static. It's not stuck just between us. It goes past us out into the world as we go out and carry the message of the gospel to others. And we invite them to come and be a part of what God is doing. That Jesus is praying for them, even though they don't know him right now. People who are far away from him right now. Look what he said in verse 22 and 23. That they may be one even as we are one so that the world may know that you sent me. Jesus' mission doesn't stop with you and with me. It goes past us and he's inviting us to help him extend it. Matthew 24, 14. Listen to what Jesus said about this. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. That God is holding off the end until every nation has an opportunity to hear the good news of God's love for them through Jesus Christ. And we get to be a part of that. God's invited us to join him in that great mission. But I think there's, there's a third and maybe even a more basic reason why Jesus is praying for you. Why he prayed for you in John 17 and why he's at the right hand of God right now praying for you. And it's the simplest but most profound reason of all. And it's this, because he loves you. Because he loves you. You think about the people that you love. And I would guess that they are top on your prayer list. The the people that keep you up at night because you might be worried about them. The people who you're most excited to hear from and, and they're they're. First on your prayer list, your kids, your parents, your friends, your, whoever it is. Because love motivates you to extend yourself to them in ways that you don't have power to do. So you cry out to God to intercede on their behalf. Jesus is praying for you because he loves you. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his love for you in this, that while you are still sinning, Christ died for you. That, that he loves you that much. 1 John three sixteen. By this we know what love is, that Jesus died for us, that he laid down his life for us. 1 John 4, 9 and, and 10 
And this is love, that God sent his own son into the world as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. We love God not because, we don't love God because, because for any other reason than the fact that he loved us first. That God has proven his love to you through the cross of Jesus. And Jesus is interceding on your behalf right now. No matter what you're facing, no matter what difficulty you're going through, Jesus loves you. And how, how should this affect the way you pray? How should this affect the way you live? Well, well, I think it's pretty simple. That you can pray with confidence knowing that Jesus is already interceding on your behalf. Do you know that there's nothing you can ask God that Jesus wouldn't have already asked for you? That, that Jesus knows your needs before you know your needs. Jesus knows your heartache before you know your heartache. Jesus can describe the turmoil you're in in ways that you can't even describe. And Jesus is interceding on your behalf. And so when you pray, you can pray with the confidence of knowing that you're not asking God to do anything that Jesus wouldn't have asked him to do first. That you have an advocate in heaven. And, and this, is, this is the extent to which Jesus loves you. It's not just that he is sitting beside God the Father interceding on your behalf. But before he reassumed his position by God the Father in heaven, he left the throne of heaven and came down to earth and lived among us. And he demonstrated his love for us in dying on the cross for us. That he laid his life down for us. We're going to share in communion this morning as a way just to remind ourselves of how much Jesus loves you. And part of the beauty of this, of this symbolism is the bread that is going to be passed in just a moment. And as it comes your way, you will see these broken pieces that all come from a single piece of matzah bread, unleavened bread. And the Bible says clearly that Jesus took the bread and he, he broke it. And he passed it out among his followers. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In other words, eat this and remember that I loved you enough to die for you. So what else wouldn't I do for you? But, but maybe we miss the symbolism of this. Because in the breaking of the bread, Jesus took something that was whole, and he broke it, his body. And he distributed it to everybody who was in the room. And he, each person took a little piece of that bread, almost like a puzzle that could be reassembled. And he said, I am giving you this. A piece of me is inside of you. And then he turned around and went to the garden and prayed, Father, make them one, as we are one. What binds us together is the fact that we are recipients of the body of Christ which has been broken for us. Listen, if you're here and you are married to a person who's also a believer and you are having trouble in your marriage, do you know that maybe the only thing holding you together right now is the fact that you each have been recipients of the body of Christ. And Jesus said, make them one. Families that are ruptured, that are shattered, that are broken, Jesus said, make them one. As we take this bread and as we eat this bread, we're being reminded that we all find our source of hope in the same place, and that's in Jesus Christ. 
It's what draws us together. As you came in today, you were given a piece of a puzzle. Everybody in here has a piece of the same puzzle. If we were to all come together and spend hours, we could put that puzzle back together. But that is a picture of what God is doing in his church. That that God is calling us to come together as the body of Christ to join him and display an image of God to all who will see it. And they might only see a little piece of it in my part of the puzzle. But as I take my part and I bring it back together with the rest of the body of Christ, a beautiful picture of God is demonstrated to the world. So I'm going to invite you, if you would, to join us. If you are here today and maybe you're from a different church, different church background, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, a baptized believer in Jesus Christ, you are welcome to participate in the Lord's Supper. Uh, you, You do not have to be a member of this church. If you're here today and that doesn't describe you, we're glad that you're here. We we want you to be a part of our service, observe what's going on. Maybe today you just don't feel like you're in the place spiritually to partake uh, of communion. Uh, But we want to give you the opportunity to join us as we share in communion. Uh, We'll pass the bread first and if you'll hold on to that piece of bread for just a few moments, maybe take just a few minutes to, to pray. Ask God to remind you of his incredible love for you. And then once everyone's been served, we'll, we'll partake together. I'm going to ask our deacons to come as we pray and prepare to receive the Lord's Supper. Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ, for his body that was broken for us. Lord, as the example of your love demonstrated in the cross... Lord, may we not forget, may we be reminded even through this ancient symbol of the Lord's Supper, may we be reminded of your love for us and may that love assure us of the fact that even now Jesus is interceding on our behalf. Father, may that encourage us as we face the challenges of this life and of this world. And Father, may the idea of the body of Christ draw us closer together even as it draws us nearer to you. In Jesus' name.